Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read us over at Indie Cornrows. I'm joined by my colleagues, uh, Caitlin Cooper and Tom Lewis. I'm doing well. It's, it's been a rough afternoon for internet for me, so I'm hopeful for this podcast that I last throughout without dropping off or causing major problems. But I guess if you don't like my takes, we can just pretend that my internet went out. So <laughs> well, build I always keep that on the, plan. I always keep that on the back burner. Anytime that I think, uh, it, well, maybe if Caitlin says something I don't like, I'll just edit her out. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> <laughs> Tom, how are you doing today? Oh, doing well. Doing well. I I was like two minutes into a two hour Zoom meeting and and saw the Woj bomb. It's like, oh, here we go. It's gonna be one of those days. So, ready to talk about it. Yeah, I always this just a quick quick aside. I always find it kind of funny when Woj weaves like four tweets into one and just like keeps sprinkling all this random crap in, like. <laughs> Uh, like just, uh, I think that this, the, it was like the third follow-up quote tweet on the original tweet. Cause well, was just the one who broke it, um, was like, he, he like tweeted out half the freaking roster and was like, yeah, this team is solid and could be a good team in the East. If they were going for a rebuild, maybe Bjorkman would be back. I'm like, okay, whose agent is saying this, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, I guess, Based on everything we've talked about on here in the past month or so, this isn't something that we find surprising. Uh, the timing is something um, that we've kind of just been waiting for. Um, and, uh, Moose is very excited about it too, I guess. Uh, I'm not excited, but Moose is excited for whatever reason. Um, I guess just diving into I mean, Kevin Pritchard spoke to the media at 3 p.m. as well, so we have a lot that we can take from that. But, I mean, w- what were your initial reactions or thoughts to the, to, to the, to the news? You know, not – Overly surprised. Um, I guess my very, very first reaction was, was this, uh, um, you know, like you see Terry Sots being fired and, and a couple other the jobs opening up. Um, is it a reaction to who might be available? Um, but uh, it sounds like, uh, at least from, you know, the interviews they had or the discussion they had with Bjorkman that, they were ready to move on regardless, which I, I kind of felt like that was going to be the case all along. Oh, I was just going to say, I guess my first reaction is that like the front office clearly deserves blame for why we're at this point. I mean, it hasn't even been a full calendar year since Nate Bjorker was hired and we're already into another coaching search, but I give them credit at least for recognizing that a change was necessary. So moving on to new, new Nate, I suppose. <laughs> I uh, I hope not. Um, th- that would just be a lot. It, maybe they hire NATO. It's out of Alabama. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, all right. So we'll we'll just dive into it. In, in looking at Kevin Pritchard's press conference, um, I mean, this didn't really feel like anything crazy revolutionary to me. Uh, he talked about really wanting to get back to the hard hat and lunch pill mentality, which he'd mentioned in his press conference a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
but there have been a lot of ties and links like other reporting came out today obviously like we mentioned terry stotts got fired by portland um there have been a lot of strong ties brought between him and, and the pacers organization obviously he coached uh with the blazers where kevin pritchard and Ch chad buchanan both were before coming over to indiana um Steve Clifford has also been linked uh, after parting ways with the Orlando Magic because they're going in a rebuilding direction. I think it was Josh Robbins from over at, at the Athletic covering the Orlando Magic, who said that part of the uh, part of the expectations for why um, Steve Clifford decided to go was that there were potential links to him with the Pacers, uh, and that's according to stuff from last week and and why the the Magic went that direction. Um, well, I guess my initial reaction was. You know, imagine my surprise that someone with ties to Indiana and Portland is being mentioned in this conversation. <laughs> but um, I mean, I think you could kind of pick out some context clues from that presser that kind of point. I don't not saying guaranteed that they already have decisions made. It sounds like they want to have an interview process again. But, um, you know, making comments about how important it is to assemble an assistant coaching staff and identifying strengths and weaknesses and then identifying assistants that can kind of supplement some of those weaknesses. When you look at both Terry Stotts and Steve Clifford, whether right or wrong, Steve Clifford has a reputation as being a defensive minded coach and Terry Stotts has more of one of like a higher offensive floor. And obviously there's knocks against, at least from Neil O'Shea's perspective of how of Terry Stotts' defense. So it kind of made sense that you were kind of already laying the breadcrumbs from like, Hey, we might hire a coach with experience who may be really good at one thing, but we're, then we're going to try to find assistance who can shore up some of those weaknesses. And I was rather interested in that later on, he more or less alluded to Dan Burke. <laughs> I he mean, did. I don't know. Yeah. If you guys didn't notice that I'm like, well, you know, I think he said we missed that. And it was kind of like, yep. I mean, something could have been done about that, but I don't know, Tom, what was your thought about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he, he, he alluded to it just, you know, we had a guy here for 20 years. He was, I think, a little bit uh, more about, you know, the, the culture and the, and the toughness identity uh, that Dan Burke watched over uh, along with the defense. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was, you know, I mean, he, he definitely – admitted, you know, his, his fault in it and the fact he was trying to, you know, take a big risk and, and swing for the fences and obviously they uh, struck out. Um, and now, uh, you know, I, I think it would be a, a mistake. And I, I think he also mentioned this as well, the, you know, pendulum swinging thing and they just go back to a real conservative uh, approach and just, you know, focus on that. But um, as far as, it, you know, the two coaches that, I, you know, I thought when Stotts was was let go, I, you know, I he he's an Indiana guy, and he, um, which doesn't really matter, but he'd be, I figured he'd be a guy willing to come here, the guy with that experience, um, and he had, a, you know, a long, long tenure um, with Portland. Obviously, um, at some point, they run out of, uh, you know, it's a whole voice thing after what been like nine years there i think he's been there since dan's been there so mm -hmm. um if they're you know trying to alter their course a bit um they're going to be taking a risk as well um as opposed to you know like say dallas or somebody right now um or like utah last year who kind of ran it back despite the issues they were having so um i feel like he would be a solid 
guy with a veteran team like the Pacers have. Um, I also, you know, I, I, I may have found a reason to root for the Nets as far as um, if Budenholzer doesn't survive and, and gets in the mix um, and, and this ties at San Antonio Pritchard um, would be a guy I wouldn't be um, too upset about either. Um, but anyone they bring in is, is I feel like on and you know guys who have coached and, and have a history and um, with with teams that want super teams um, there, there's going to be flaws that everybody points out which um, you know you just got to find the right fit for the guys on the roster and guys on the roster was another big issue I felt that came out of this press conference as well but we can get to that later yeah. yeah, I will add one other thing that I mean, they're they're saying that, you know, the human management stuff is one, I mean, seemed to me like one of the yeah. non-negotiables. So obviously, we're not going to be able to add a lot of context to that situation. And mm-hmm. in some respects, that probably works in their favor in the hiring process, because they're going to know their own locker room and how these coaches operate in whatever locker rooms they were in previously better than any of us are going to be able to. So it's, it's going to be a little bit hard to criticize that hire, given that that's kind of the main box that needs to be checked at this point in time. But I mean, mm-hmm. I won't dig too heavily into Stotts right now. I'm sure I'll probably be spending a lot of time looking <laughs> into those things. But even if I do, I mean, that's why I was never even going to be critical of whoever they hired the last time, because this was the indicator then that they wanted this modern communicator. And because I don't have answers to those questions, you're just yeah. trusting that they're going to make the right decision. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So like, he he also like just in mentioning you, you mentioned the locker room a little bit. Um, I don't remember who asked the question. I believe I think it was Bob Kravitz who asked the question actually um, on whether or not KP mm-hmm. was concerned about the locker room construct, considering this has happened two coaches in the row in in a row um, having issues with the coaches for for human management reasons. And uh, KP said that he he really likes the locker room and where it's at, uh, but also brought up Al Jefferson from a couple of years ago. Uh, saying that they need somebody good enough to play and help players be accountable still. Um, so I felt like that answer was kind of telling. It was more like I am lukewarm on the locker room and think that we need to make some improvements on it uh, rather than – I mean, of course, he, he definitely likes it, but that, that that was my read on it. It's almost like a bad would, would be – that has been missed always by, by me. But, um, yeah, it, it was uh, – I, I found that as an, a pretty interesting nugget. I, I kind of found it interesting that he didn't mention that as well. Um, it just because that is the perfect guy. Reasons. Yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but that you know that was a guy thinking. I was like, yeah, well, you, you mean that? <laughs> but you're right. That, that's, that's a good point. Doesn't want to get that uh, fine for. There was about. a there was a loose allusion to Udonis Haslam though. Oh, you yeah, know, we don't yeah. we don't need to do that. Um, I'm <laughs> I mean, sure I'm sure that there are plenty of Pacers fans who would love to see Jeff Foster back in an Indiana uniform. Yeah. No, <laughs> we don't we don't need that. I mean, the one thing that is interesting about that though is he's he's not talking about like replacing you know, this star player is going to come in and be our best player as well as a vocal leader. Like you're talking yeah, about right. an end of the bench person who you think is going to be a veteran and, and be able to come in and, and steady the ship a bit to me, like not to go completely off track, but the one comment that really raised my eyebrow was when he was asked if they would consult with current players 
about the search. And while he didn't say that they wouldn't, he also didn't say that they would. And he said, because, you know, players don't always know what's best for the organization or what, what's going to push them that, you know, push the envelope and play into what they do best. And it's like, okay, well, from some of the reporting about Nate Bjorker and it sounded like he had a pretty brash personality. I mean, I don't know what impression you guys had. So now we're hearing that that they weren't being pushed enough. Like (laughs) that seemed a little bit contradictory to me, but. Yeah, it's all over the place. Um, And uh, honestly, I just uh, was listening to Jay Michael on local radio. um, And, you know, some of the things that, you know, basically he's reporting it, stuff that he's heard, stuff that went on. Um, I know two weeks ago, or right when Bjorken was gone, um, I heard Brian Windhorst on a Tony Kornheiser podcast saying, basically saying, Sabonis did not like Bjorkrit at all. And that was, you know, a major reason why there's issues. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then, you know, Jay Michaels kind of said, well, Sabonis and Brian seemed to get along with them, but the, the, the team didn't appreciate how Bjorkman didn't, um, you know, the way that he reacted to when they, you know, hugged the ball too much or did stuff off script. They weren't um, held accountable at all and, and those types of things. There's all these issues. And, and the one thing that stuck out to me today was Pritchard talking about the roster and saying individually, I love each of these guys. And, you know, there's a saying with, with some of the old Yankees teams, you know, 25 guys, 25 caps, whatever, 15, 17 guys, 17 caps. And basketball is not uh, the way it's going to work. And, and to me, that's kind of an indication that, you know, that doesn't sound too appealing to a coach if you're coming into a locker that, that um, if, if they were to run everything back, that um, is that far off as far as um, playing together and all that. So um, it, it, you would you would think that, you know, maybe they're getting rid of the coach because they want to run all these guys back to see if they're healthy, see if they'll work. But, man, the, the, those non-basketball issues, you know, that can leak onto the court, um, that, that's going to make that a challenge going forward. And, and um, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be more, more going on this offseason to just change the coach. Yeah. So I think, well, the next question I would have off that, because we can't really, I mean, we could talk about roster stuff and uh, we will probably a little bit in a second, but the first question I'd ask is, I I mean, do you feel like I I wouldn't, I want to be careful in saying this. I don't, um, I don't know for for certain that they didn't conduct a super thorough interview, but based on reporting there, there's questions on whether or not, you know, how the interview process went uh, last year. And, and deducing down the candidates. I mean, how do you feel about what's happening this year? Because it feels like it's kind of fast tracking for um, for a coach who maybe just got fired to, to come in and take over the job. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, it seemed like, you know, while hard hat and lunch pail was mentioned a lot of times, they were talking about assistants shoring up um, potential weaknesses. And like I said, I mean, whether it's right or wrong, Steve Clifford and Terry Stotts do both have reputations as being like one way coaches. So I wouldn't, I will say this, like, I don't know if that was intentional or not. He might've just been saying what they're, 
you know, bulleted list of things they're going to be looking for is and making the point that assistant coaches matter. But if that turns out to be the case, I would be somewhat disappointed. Like I, I would rather there be a thorough search where they look into candidates and I understand the perspective that they want somebody experienced to come in here. Like Tom mentioned, some of this seems like it's been going on for two years now, but I'm still not completely opposed to the first coach uh, or first time head coach idea. I mean, I, if, if they said Becky Hammond was on the list, I certainly wouldn't balk at it. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of where I'm getting at too. Yeah. I am saying worried is the wrong way to put it, but I'm just slightly concerned that this will maybe throw the wrench out of, are they going to look at, at first year candidates after, uh, I mean, first time candidates after how this went. And I think I would understand in some regards if they didn't, like I'd understand if they didn't go with one, but I, I do wonder if they'll actually um, make real concerted efforts into looking at one that's just speculation yeah i mean there was the juxtaposition several times where he talked about with bjorker and he wanted to take a risk and now now it feels like they don't want to right yes and it sounds like i mean something jay michael mentions that bjorker if they had trouble getting quality assistant um coaches um interested in, in joining the staff and and I, I would think that, you know, to Caitlin's point about filling the gaps, that um, some of that may be <laughs> vetted a little more before they make the, the final decision uh, on the new coach going forward. Just on an aside, I also found it interesting when he was asked about consulting with current players that he said that he specifically talked with Malcolm Brogdon and Brogdon was like, you know, you guys do your work and then mentioned that there's a level of trust there. And based on some of the based on some of the reporting, that just seemed kind of interesting. Like, I mean, and I don't know. I don't know how Brogdon really felt about Nate McMillan or Nate Bjorkren. But if if what was reported is to be believed that he wasn't thrilled with Nate McMillan's X's and O's and that. You know, I wouldn't say that in the exit interviews that I thought that Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis gave ringing endorsements of Nate Bjorkren. I don't know how you guys felt about that, but it seemed like they were just kind of towing the line. So, I mean, I guess it reflects well, like if he does have a level of trust in them to make the right decision this go around, I guess that speaks well of that relationship, but it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, so I guess, I mean, just in transitioning from that, we can kind of close out talking about, um, I mean, they like like we mentioned already, they want to get back to that hard hard hat and lunch pill mentality and all that. And uh, it's it's just it's like we we talked about this a little bit. I talked about this on a pod earlier today uh, with a friend of mine who covers the Blazers. Um, as much as everything that went down in Portland, like I I do think there are legitimate questions about how Terry Stotts coached the defense. I didn't always love it. But I also think, too, like you have to take the roster into mind. And, of course, Miles is awesome. But, like, even if Nate McMillan is still the coach this year, if uh, let's I mean, if TJ, like, let's let's say everything else plays out the same, but Nate McMillan is the coach, is that defense really that good this year? Like, I I, it's easy for me to say that sitting here now. But if, if Miles misses 15, 20 games, TJ Warren misses the entire season, Part of that is it's it's difficult to put that on a coach, um, missing players that are that important to what you're doing. But at the same time, I just don't know, like, is the roster in a state where if Terry Stotts were to come in and take over, is the defense really going to be at that much higher of a level than it was this year? I guess my only argument with that would be that I think that 
it was hand in hand. I don't think it helped Bjorkren to not have your best mm-hmm. rim protector available at the end of the year and not have TJ Warren available for most of the year, especially when you've crafted at least your base shell around a funneling scheme. Yeah. Then at the same time, you're trying to implement like eight different types of defense, some of which weren't super well suited for the roster amid a season where you don't have practice time, didn't have a full training camp, let alone you're trying to be super aggressive in a system where there may not have been proper time to really get conditioning there. I also think a piece of it was – I mean, what you and I said on the previous pod about, you know, some of Karras' defense, I'm not going to put all of that on Bjorkren because I think some, I mean, some of it is coaching because you got to coach effort. But I think there were times where the, the effort with players waned where yeah. they weren't getting the accountability on that end of the floor either. Maybe that improves with a different uh, a change. And I think that Terry Stotts did have a lot of one-way players, but my pushback would be this was almost an identical roster to last year. Mm -hmm. Yes, there were injuries, but they were a top six defense. So I think that the defense can get better. It just needs to not be, you know, and I hate to use the phrase, but some of the galaxy brained coverages they were using this year, just, Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's a fair phrase to use. I'll say it a million times. It doesn't make sense to come out of a timeout and be playing triangle and two and have Brogdon be the person shading Nikola Jokic. I, I don't, that type of stuff like that's just giving the other team free points so on that level alone I think making a change where yeah you know I mean and especially with Portland's roster you're not going to do a lot of switching with that starting lineup you're not going to do a lot of blitzing with the starting lineup if that's the same thing with the Pacers both of the things are probably true and I think you could probably say I mean Neil O'Shea alluded to it that you know Maybe Terry Stotts didn't push those guys to get the most out of them all the time. Some of that might be true, but Neil O'Shea also deserves some of the blame because he Mm -hmm. stocked the roster with one-way players. So I think the Pacers have more one-way players than they did a few years ago. I mean, one-way offensive players than they did a few years ago. But I mean, some of this goes back to even what Kevin Pritchard was saying, you know, and, and what Tom just said about being all over the place to an extent, like until you fully know what, like how much you believe in the starting lineup, what direction are you going in? Because I don't think you can go back to being just a defensive first team. Those teams haven't been successful in the playoffs recently, going back to when the Pacers were scoring is way up. So I don't think it's terrible to bring in a coach who would have a high offensive floor, but you can't run back the same type of defense. And that needed to be changed, whether Bjorken was the coach or not. Yeah. I think that's such a great point to bring up. I I, like I was looking at shifting to that too, because I mean, I mean, KP really addressed the hard hat lunch pill mentality a bunch in the beginning, but then he also was like, but I've also been thinking a ton about how those are the teams we were successful with. Uh, and I think that's more about like 13, 14 than, than in recent years, at least in my opinion. But um, you know, like he also talks about scoring has gone up. The importance of scoring has changed and it's making me think about things differently. And I, so I think that was uh that was at least um, to, if people had only caught the comments about, you know, wanting to be a defense, a, a defensive team that could win ugly, as KP said, um, that it, it, I wasn't su- saying concerned. I, I, I hate saying concerned so much, but like it, it wasn't me coming out concerned, like, Oh, okay. They, all they want to do is get back to what they were. I do think that they're at least thinking about, um, you know, how, how are we going to be different from this while getting back to some of what we were doing? Yeah. And it's about, you know, what, what kind of changes can you implement? I mean, honestly, you look at, if you look at the numbers of patients were what middle of the pack defensive efficiency for Which, a full year, every time I looked but, at it was surprising to me. So it doesn't but fully then, reflect the drop yeah. off. I can tell you that. Yes. Right. After the also break, they're in the, in the low twenties and you know, a lot of that's injury. A lot of it is, 
you know, whatever, Karis, <laughs> Karis big impact, whatever, but, but, and Caitlin has illustrated this numerous times. Um, it was, how are you trying to resolve the issues that kept popping up? And, and that's where, you know, Bjorka failed. It was just like, what are we doing here? Um, you know, why are we, are big guys chasing guys out on the perimeter and, and all the, you know, going over the screens and, you know, going through the, the list of, of subtle adjustments that could have been made um, and maybe improved things that, uh, that weren't done. And uh, so, you know, going forward, you know, those are the things that you think that maybe this crew could definitely improve in, in that area and still remain uh, a versatile offensive group uh, because, you know, it, as we mentioned from this before the year started last year, it's like they had a lot of good players, not a great one, but a lot of good players. And that's what they got to hang their hat on. Um, and if they're healthy, you know, they can, you know, play with anyone on any given night, but um, you know, the overall, how they're going to play at both ends of the floor, you know, has to change. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Um, do you guys have anything else that, that really stood out to you or um, that, that you want to hit on before we get out of here? Well, I mean, kind of the discussion about where the team is on the timeline, I thought, mm-hmm. stood out a little bit. I mean, in that, I mean, what impression were you – I mean, it almost sounded like, once again, I mean, and I saw some of the comments flooding in while the presser <laughs> was running, that, like, I, yeah. they yeah. want to try to be as competitive as they can, but he didn't seem overly – uh, confident and neither do I like I'm not criticizing Kevin Pritchard for this but like confident that they could be competitive with the top three teams in the east like well we think we could be a tough out and that didn't seem yeah. to sit well with people in the comments like yeah. that that's what they were going to be content content doing again and I don't think I mean I credit Kevin Pritchard because I think that's the correct assessment of where the roster is even if a new coach yeah. comes into being and I also understand that it's tough for them to have and I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for him, but it's tough to know with a full picture when this lineup hasn't even played. So on the one hand, I can make a strong case. And I know you said we weren't going to get into roster issues. No, that's much, okay. But um, I can make a case for, I'm not like fully committed to running this back, but I'm not really opposed to it either because we don't fully know how the pieces fit, let alone if they're going to put another new system in. So until we know how various pieces gel together, I kind of get why he was just towing the line. And I mean, it doesn't sound like they want to take step back. This is not going to be a rebuilding situation, but I also wasn't completely convinced that he wouldn't be willing to move a piece either this summer or once he sees, even if they start out next year, partially with it, once he sees now the one downside to that, which I brought up a couple of times is that if you go into this, like you did last year and, and, I'm not making any case for which big should be traded or whatever. I'm just making the point that like this year, you, you brought back both. You almost traded miles. Then you brought back both. The system was a funneling scheme that mostly was served for miles. And that makes sense. If you have one of the best room protectors in the NBA, that's what you should do. I think it overburdened him and they weren't doing near enough with rim deterrence, but that point aside, then he gets hurt. So imagine, you know, if you had traded miles mid season or he does get hurt, you're not reorienting the scheme mid year. You're not going to completely change that to what you would need if it's Sabonis or vice versa. So I feel like you need to have a pretty good idea 
with this new coach of, you know, are we fully sold on this? Like, and if you are be two feet in, like if we, if we believe we can be competitive with two bigs and this coach is going to figure it out, then be fully invested in that. And if you aren't like be leaning one way or the other so that you can have the scheme ready to go, that's actually going to fit the respective person so that you're not spending part of the middle of the year being like, Oh, this doesn't even work anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I think if like, that's, that's where I'm at too. Cause I did not like how that went this year because as much as we down the stretch, it was easy to pick things apart and be a little bit frustrated and critical of what Nate Bjorken was doing at the beginning of the year. It was hard to not side with him. And I felt like the three of us in some regards were very much so like, Hey, you know, they completely flipped the roster over from where it was going to be when, I mean, like when you just look at it with, with Karis coming in and not playing Victor being out TJ, not being there, like it was, it made sense that they were losing considering everything that had changed mm-hmm. up. Um, but I think that that's a, another great point. Conversely, like if you're bringing in a coach, it almost feels like you should have the roster set or not even set is the wrong way, but like if have a you, vision, you have to have a vision for yeah. what you want to do next season. Like if you're, if you're going to come in and say, well, we might do this, we might do that. We're not sure. Well, okay. You're already putting him, him or her, whoever comes in at a disadvantage coming into the next year and putting the team back in a place that you don't want them to be at. So I agree. Like, I, and that's, that's sorry to interrupt, but that's the best way to put it because offensively being the Toronto Raptors, wasn't a terrible thing. Nate Bjorkren implemented good things. I do think he had strong X's and O's for how to arrange people offensively, defensively being the Toronto Raptors had problems. So you, I would like them to see the coach that gets hired to coach this roster not to make this roster into something else. So what you're saying, I think rings pretty true and not that you can't make changes to the roster, just that whatever the roster is going to be, the coach coaches that team, not the team that he wants. Well, yeah, exactly. And like the biggest thing that, that, that and I think we're getting at it too, <laughs> is like they came in last year and it was pretty clear that things were up in the air with Victor. Like they weren't sure. And Nate came in with an idea for how he wanted to do things and the front office saw things differently and, and wanted to to make changes. And it just wasn't, it felt like there was almost some kind of disconnect there in some way, um, which maybe is an unfair way to put it, but I think that's, I mean, it's kind of true. Um, Tom, sorry, did I cut you off? Uh, no, no I, I do feel like, you know, you look at Utah and the mess they were in going into the bubble um, and look like they were coming apart of the seams and having, you know, um, you know, on the verge of, of um, a breakup or, or at least looking like the Pacers now. And, and they just let the dust settle, bring it back, at least roster wise, for the most part, and, and have a pretty healthy year aside from your in and out Conley stuff and, and a little bit of Mitchell at the end. But, um, and, and they were, functioning quite well now you know obviously that's different I feel like Mitchell is kind of an alpha on a on a level that none of the Pacers players really have um but I I still think that's kind of a a model that that they could look at as far as competing with those upper echelon teams um keeping it together and and it's not a level playing field in the NBA unfortunately yeah. Um, and so you you got to look to the teams like Utah um, when Portland has it going like that for the Pacers to to see your 
your window for success because um, it's not a team where three superstars are going to decide to come and play. Um, and that's just, that's just where we're at. And that's just the way the NBA is uh, allowing the league to be functioning at this point. So um, it, it does make it tough for <laughs> a, a franchise like the Pacers to um, make a bold move and, and make these bold trades and, and hope they hit on, on something um, and, and I guess straying away from going with what they don't know. Um, and Pritchard obviously tried to do that, but girl couldn't take a big swing, struck out. Now, you know, they're, they're kind of starting over on the coaching end. I don't know if he wants to take that big swing with the roster, um, but man, I feel like he, he's got to do a little something there because I, I just feel like <clears> – <throat> That leadership part he spoke of and, and the individual thing just sticks with me. That's like, it doesn't feel right. It, it, it's not the right mix somehow, regardless of, of the health. Um, the, the the things he's talking about weren't on the court, X's and O's type things. Um, and if, if that's not right, they, they really got to look at trying to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um I think the last thing I'll close out on is I just uh, I appreciate that Kevin Pritchard was uh, very willing to take accountability for this. Um, again, I'm not trying to absolve him of of making a, a, the you know what is in retrospect the wrong move, but I did appreciate that he was pretty candid and said it was his mistake and that he's uh, actively looking to see what he can do to improve on on his hiring process. Um, Tony East asked him that question on, you know, how this changes his hiring process and the way that he looks at things. And I thought it was a really good question. I appreciated KP's answer to it, but, uh, this hire is huge. Like this has to be a saying, I I don't like saying home run, but it kind of has to be a home run hire like this, um, in my opinion, but you know, that's something that we're going to have to certainly cover in the coming, uh, coming weeks. Awesome. Well, uh, to everyone listening, of course, thank you for listening. We will have a lot of great stuff coming out soon. If you haven't already, I wrote a way more comprehensive, uh, lengthy analysis than I intended to on James Booknight. It's a wing prospect out of uh, UConn that will be in the 2021 draft, slated to be right around where the Pacers are picking. Um, I'd recommend reading up on that if you're trying to get more into the draft. Uh, Caitlin wrote a really, really good breakdown today on uh, Nate Bjorkman's firing with some new snippets in there as well. And I have no doubt Caitlin will be uh, eating some outshine popsicles and, and looking at coaching stuff pretty soon. So uh, enjoy that. And most importantly, to everyone listening, just enjoy your day and uh, hope it's a good one.